Well, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. If you would, go ahead and find a seat. That would be great. That will be great. My name is uh, Jeff Baker. I have the unique privilege of uh, serving on staff here at New Life. Um, I fill in the role of the lead pastor. So if you're here with us in our main auditorium today and this is your first week with us, then welcome. Glad to have you here. Um, We have a number of hosts that are in our auditorium. Uh, They're called ushers. Uh, They're here to serve you in any way possible. If you need to know where a restroom is, you need to know where our children's ministry is, you need to know where our drinking fountain is, you need to know where to get that free gift that my wife talked about a minute ago, they'll direct you, all right? As well as in our other venues that are happening right now, simultaneously live with us down in the venue. Uh, We also have uh, ushers that are down there to help you, and I want to say hello to all of those that are worshiping with us in the venue today. Glad to have you guys with us. Um, Thanks for coming out today, as well as our, uh, our venue that's located in North Platte which God's been doing some tremendous things in North Platte. I want to say hello to everybody in North Platte right now. Uh, we also have ushers that are out there to help you. Um, so no matter which location you go to at New Life, we've got people in place to serve and to meet your needs. Um, so thank you for coming out today. I want to say congratulations to everybody at all three venues at the exact same time. You guys set your clocks correctly. Congratulations. Way to go. Now... Don't clap too hard for yourselves. We all know Verizon did it for us. Or whatever cell service that you use, all right? We know, you know that they did it. So, I mean, what was all that clapping? There's only probably a couple people in here that actually had to physically set, uh, set a clock back. So, what a day in which we live, all right? I mean, daylight savings time with the cell service and using your cell phone as your... How many of you guys use a cell phone instead of a watch? Wow, see, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us do that now. So uh, the day of daylight savings is no longer a worry for the church. It used to be that for the church we had to like really like work hard, work hard at making sure everybody knew about it or no one would be here, right? Especially if you had one service. The days when, you know, New Life only had one service and now we're in three locations, those were crazy days because everybody would show up as you were, to, as you were leaving. It's like they would come here, make their arrangements for lunch, and then off they would go. It was an interesting day back then. Does anybody remember that far back? All right. Okay. You don't want to, do you? Um, well, thank you for being here. Uh, these folks that are here in the main auditorium, you guys look amazing. And I'm sure that's the same in North Platte and in the, in the gym venue as well. So thank you for being here at New Life today. Hey, we've got a couple of things I want to, I want to uh, announce to you today. How many of you guys like change? Does anybody just love change like me? All right. Well, I don't love all change, all right? But uh, I am a guy who does, does like change. If you don't like change, you need to take it up with God, okay? Because God is the one who said he's new every morning. That sounds like change to me, Okay. So if you don't like it, you need to talk to God about it. But some change is not the kind of change that you you necessarily enjoy. Um, We've got a pastoral transition that's going to be taking place. One of our pastors who is here in the main auditorium with me every Sunday and helps us and serves here in the main auditorium, Pastor Ed and Kyle Lynn, uh, these guys are going to be um, leaving our staff at the end of the month, at the end of March, Uh, They're going to be leaving our staff. They're going to be continuing to work on the call of God and pursuing God's direction in ministry uh, for their life. Uh, Pastor uh, Pastor Ed uh, is one of those guys that, uh, in his own words, um, as we were talking about this transition, in his own words, 
Um, he's a man that is a give-it-all kind of a guy. And uh, I believe that about him as well, a give-it-all kind of a man. He wants God to reign and rule uh, supremely in his life. And so uh, him and I both agree that this transition is going to help serve that. It's going to help benefit that. It's going to help focus on everything that God's going to do in his life and through his life um, into the future. And so I know that some change is not the kind of change that we always want to have, but it's the change that is, um, it's necessary change. So at the end of the month, these guys are going to make it a transition. I know that there's a number of junior high students that love you guys, and there's a number of junior high students that have come to know Jesus because of your ministry. And you guys have uh, a good fruit in your ministry, and you're going to be leaving good fruit here at New Life. Amen? Um, so with that, uh, as they depart at the end of the month, we're going to be doing a, uh, something special to bless them, of which if you have junior high students, you will hear about it, okay, because you will be invited. Uh, that will be for junior high students and for their parents, so um, be listening for that. But in, the, in, the, in between time, on the next few weeks that we have them around here, please love on them, um, hug their neck, tell them, uh, tell them how special they've been for you and your family. Um, that's, a, that's an important thing to do, okay? Um, with that as well, we're making another change. So uh, we're making a change so that more people can come to church here at our Kearney campus. We're launching our Power Kids ministry at the 9 o'clock service as well as the 1045. So that means we're bringing our A game of children's ministry to 9 o'clock with the Power Kids. So that way you can come as a family at 9, give your kids to the nursery, the preschool, and Power Kids, and they can gain everything that they would at 1045. And I'm asking if there are some of you that would be willing to make that shift for us so that um, on, the, on the weeks where we've got a lot of people coming in the door, we've got more parking spaces that are out there available, and it continues to create space for more people to come and worship God. Um, this is a Sunday where you're going to find attendance to be a little bit lower. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting how daylight savings time will tend to do that to you. So um, would you please consider that, making that shift with us? That would be amazing. Um, many of you guys know that I lived in Alaska. How many guys uh, have ever been to Alaska? Anybody? Anybody know somebody that lives in Alaska? It seems that no matter who you talk to, people have either been there themselves or they know somebody that lives there. Um, and when, my, when I was there, I loved to fish. Are there any, does anybody love to fish? You notice, I guarantee you, in all three venues, it was the exact same response. If you ask a group of fishermen who likes to fish and you ask for a response, it's always going to just be the hand with nothing coming out of their mouth. You know why? Because they're, like, they're always out there like this. Shh. The fish might hear us. Don't talk loud. And so when I ask about who's a fisherman, they're like, it's, it's me. It's me. I'm a fisherman. Right? So I expected that response. That's cool. You didn't have to have a lot of energy because fishermen should be more quiet, subdued. You'll scare the fish. You won't come home with anything. When I was in Alaska, I loved to fish. I, I had this fly rod, and it was one of my best friends because I spent a lot of time with it. The fly rod that came down to the fly reel, and the fly reel had no drag on it. Now, if you're not a fisherman, you're not going to get the story, all right? So you're just going to have to maybe get an interpretation from the person sitting next to you. 
And I apologize if you don't get it. Maybe you can go back and listen to it later, and then you'll understand, okay? Um, So the illustration is that I'm fishing with my fly rod and my fly reel with no drag, and I'm catching salmon. So we are casting line out into the river, the the line's bobbing down, you know, the river, and then boom, we get a red red salmon on, and that thing just takes off. And your, your line, your floater line, your fly line's out there, you get your leader line in front of that, and then all of a sudden you get down to your backing, and you're you're, you're almost out, and you're just, now you're starting to try to reel, and it's this little reel, and you're trying to reel the fish in, and it seems like you're winning, and then all of a sudden the fish comes back alive again, and he takes off, and that little nub that sticks out that you're trying to reel spins around like, it feels like a revolution of a hundred times before you can get your thumb out of the way, right? You bust your knuckles open. Um, it's just, it's crazy, but we loved it, loved it. Fish for halibut, silver salmon, red salmon, pink salmon, and then the, the king of all kings. King Salmon, baby. All right? King Salmon. So we went down to this river one day, and everybody's out at this river. It's just a a fishing time that is, you know, controlled by the state. And the fishery opened and started, and I'm I'm fishing. It's a glacier fed, so you've got all this silty, you know, water coming by. And every once in a while, you get this opening. You can kind of see all the way to the bottom. It's just these snapshots of moments. And then I hook into this King Salmon. Oh, man. I mean, the fight was on. That line was going out so fast I couldn't hardly keep it in. You know, it's like my glove is going to catch on fire holding on to that thing. And the, the rod's trying to bend right above my hand, and I'm thinking it's all going to snap and it's going to fall apart. And I keep fighting them and fighting them and fighting them in minutes and minutes, you know, turn into, you know, almost 20, 30 minutes. And my forearm is on fire. Hanging on to this thing. It's just, it is, it's like Popeye's forearm. It is swelled up. It's on fire. I can't hardly contain it anymore. You know, and I get a glimpse of the fish and you can see, I mean, it's like, it's like one of these fish. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And then this thing is massive, right? And we finally land it. It's a 45 pound king salmon, not too shabby on a fly reel with, with no drag. Okay. I'm just saying, that's not too bad. I get that fish out of the water, and I'm holding him by the gills, and you're trying to hold him up and get your picture taken, and you're out of breath, you know, and your forearm's killing you. And that fish, it probably was. It was like, it was like this, at least. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I might need another person, actually. Isn't that the way fish stories go? Now, that's a true fish story. I don't remember how big the fish was, something like that. But I mean, in the girth on it, you know, it's probably, I don't know, something like that. You'd probably swallow a human being. Well, the fish story of all fish stories, though, comes from the Bible. It's the story, it's the story of Jonah. Jonah in the Old Testament, that's what we're going to talk about today in our teaching series, Essentials. Jonah, you know, if you've ever heard the story, here's this man who gets swallowed by this fish, right? Only to go on to be God's prophet at that season of time in his life. People have read this story and they've wondered to themselves, could this even be true? Is it possible that a guy could get swallowed by a large fish? Is that even possible? Is it possible that a guy who gets swallowed by a large fish could live for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish? Is that even scientifically possible? Well, go Google it this afternoon, and you're going to find out that there are people, you know, clearly divided on both sides of the coin on that one. So that's not where I'm going. 
I'm not a science teacher, all right? I'm not up here today to define for you why a fish you know, could do that or couldn't do it, and why a man could survive or a man couldn't survive. I'm up here to help you understand God's Word. And here's something that's going to be massively profound for you in your wrestling with the, um, with the understanding of, is this story true or is this story not true? I want to take you to the one who we serve. I want to take you to the one who we live our lives by. I want to take you to the one who we preach here at New Life. His name is Jesus. We, we land our understanding through, of God through Christ. We see, we see God in Christ. We know that Jesus is God, all right? The, these things we know to be true. These things we hold on to. These, these are the doctrines that we live our lives by. Without Christ, we're nothing. That with, without Christ, there is no salvation of sin. That without Christ, there is no eternity with God in heaven. Everything about Christianity hinges on the person of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's what happens with the story of Jonah. If you want to know whether the story is true or not, you have to actually go to the New Testament to really validate it if you're wrestling with it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus says in his own words, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man, so will Jesus, be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus goes... When he's preaching to the people, when he's prophesying about his own death and his own resurrection, Jesus chooses of all stories the story of Jonah to drive the point home. Just like Jonah was swallowed by the fish, Jesus says, so will I be swallowed up by the earth and put into the tomb for three days and three nights. So my premise on preaching this to you today is built off the, off the point that Jesus said it. Jesus said it. God wrote it, Jesus said it. There's something powerful about Jesus going into the Old Testament and quoting those passages and quoting those scriptures that allow you to, with even more ferocity, say, that is true. With even more accuracy, that is true. And today, that's where we're going to stand. So who is this guy of Jonah anyways? Jonah is a prophet of God. Jonah's job is to be in God's presence, to seek God, to pray, to fast, to hunger after God, and to hear God's word. And when God speaks his word, Jonah would take that word and deliver it to the people. Jonah is not just talked about in the New Testament with Jesus and in his own book called Jonah in the Old Testament, but he's also referred to in 2 Kings chapter 14 when he's brought out as one of Israel's prophets of which he brings a prophetic word that comes true. One thing about Old Testament prophets is if they, te- if they prophesied something and it didn't happen, then many times they were killed. Oftentimes they were killed. If not, they were ran away at least. So they were instantly done with. So one thing we know about Jonah is that Jesus quotes him. So there's, there's quoting a good, of, a good, you know, uh, of a good stance for Jonah. He's quoted by Jesus. But he's also spoken about in 2 Kings chapter 14, which it's speaking good about him, that he's a prophet who brought God's word, and that word was fulfilled. So on both sides of the spectrum, we have... Uh, integrity pieces that are speaking to this man Jonah as being a true prophet, a man of God, a man of integrity, a man who, would, who does the things that God wants him to do. And now we've got the story of Jonah, which Jonah is asked by God, would you bring a, a corrective word to the Assyrians, an enemy of the Israelites, an oppressor of the Israelites, would you bring a, a message of, of um, condemnation, really, to them, condemning them for their actions, 
hoping, though, that they might turn and repent and start following God. And that's where Jonah finds himself in this book. Jonah, though, is being sent to a community called Nineveh. Has anybody heard of Nineveh in the news in the past week? In the news in the past week. If you haven't, then you need to go back and you need to look. ISIS, you know, marches in, and they go into this last week into a museum. It's called the Nineveh Museum. And in the Nineveh Museum, they start knocking over and destroying the art and the artifacts from the ancient um, Assyrian Empire that have been con- con- uh, compiled there to help tell the story of this ancient empire, the Assyrians, which is in the northern Iraq area. Now, thankfully, most of the items that they were destroying and breaking and with sledgehammers and you know dismantling and tearing apart were just relics, and that the real items had been moved into museums in Baghdad, but not all of them. And they've been also, ISIS has been moving in that same region with bulldozers and destroying um, ancient archaeological digs that have been taking place where Assyrian communities were, which they've been unearthing and discovering. This is all biblical history stuff here. This is all stuff that took place in an Old Testament time frame that's being attempted to be destroyed. And it's just interesting to me how, you know, this was the passage that we were going to preach. And we, we booked that from the beginning of the year. And here we are today. And in real life, 2015, Nineveh is back in the news across the world because of what's happening with ISIS. So Nineveh was a capital city, a very large city. A city that was, that was so large that the Bible says it would take you three days to get through the city. Three days to either, in some theologians, to get around and to see the sights of the city, or with others, three days to get from one side to the other. Regardless of which one is correct, if it takes three days to get around an ancient city, I've been in some ruins of ancient cities, they aren't that large. This one was monstrous. And the Assyrians, they reigned and they ruled for a period of about 300 years, including Israel. These guys were barbaric in their behavior. They were brutal in their, in their understanding of how to treat humanity. If you think ISIS is bad, these guys would take it to a whole new level. In fact, some of the ancient readings of the Assyrians is so brutal, some of you in this room shouldn't even attempt to read it. It's so graphic, it will just blow your mind away at their devaluing of humanity and their ability to bring harm and shame upon others. And in this barbaric behavior, they really dominated during their 300 years because of the fear that they would put into the hearts of people. The Assyrians would literally march into a place like Karni, overtake it, overrun it, kill a bunch of people, um, leave a bunch of destruction behind, and then tell... Tell those in government here that uh, we're taking all your gold, all your silver, um, you know, hand it over from all the people, by the way. Hand it over from your vaults. Give us everything that is of value. And if you don't, then we're going to kill everybody here and we're going to take it anyways. So they would turn it over. Then they would say on their departure, hey, by the way, a year from now, I'm coming back. And when I come back, you're going to owe me X amount of gold, silver, and all of your other valuables. And if you don't pay it, then we're going to come with our same army and we're going to destroy everything that's here, including you. And so the people out of fear, they would send this, all their wealth. And so the Assyrians just put people into poverty. The Assyrians, you know, just put people into a depressed state and they ruled that way for a long time. And this is where, in the period of their, their heyday, that God says to Jonah, 
I'm going to send you to their capital. And I'm going to send you into the heart of this place, into this northern Iraq, what we know now, northern Iraq. I'm going to send you there, and I've got a message. And the message is, you're a wicked and a vile people, and I'm going to destroy your town. <laughs> well, that's a great message for a prophet, isn't it? Wow, what a great message in a, in a time frame like that, in a moment like that. Wow, God, seriously? You couldn't have given me, like, a message for someone else? You know, like, you know, you've got... Your books are off, you need to correct your books or something. You, you send me into a place like that? And that's what God called him to do. Take a look at the beginning of Jonah. God says to him in, in chapter 1, Get up, Jonah, and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. And you know what this great prophet does who his entire job is to sit and to wait and to seek God. And when he gets God's word, it empowers him to go and be God's man at the hour. This is what this powerful man does. But Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, which is in now modern day Tel Aviv, which is the airport that um, a bunch of us just flew in and out of uh, to go to Israel, uh, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Right? He bought a ticket and he went aboard hoping to what? Escape from the Lord. He hoped to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. This prophet has got some problems. He needs to understand who is the one who created the whole earth? God. You think you're going to move on a boat from one place to another just because it's far from where you lived that somehow you are literally going to escape from God? Well, in all of Jonah chapter 1, we understand very quickly, Jonah doesn't do anything like that. He can't escape from God. So, so what happens, he gets on the boat, they head out into the Mediterranean Sea to go from Joppa, Tel Aviv, to Tarshish, a long distance away. And in that way, the wind starts blowing, and the storms start coming up, and Jonah's on the deck, and he's talking with the guys, and he's probably asking him, guys, is this okay? Is this normal? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is fine. This is all good. You know, storms happen all the time. I mean, water's coming up into the boat. Is that okay, guys? Right? Is that okay? Um, you know, if you ask the captain of a boat when the waves are beating it and all that kind of stuff, is it okay? The captain's always going to answer, oh, of course it is. I mean, what captain in his right mind wouldn't, right? I mean, who wants to scare the passengers? Who wants to scare the people? You see the, the captain come running through the boat. Ah, ah, the boat's going down. The boat's going down. We're hopeless. And everyone goes crazy. The captain can't do that. Captain has to keep his head screwed on straight. Captain has to keep things together. So in all of this chaos, Jonah goes down into the belly of the boat and falls asleep. And while he is sleeping... The boat has now found itself with the storm continuing to increase to the point where the captain realizes now there's a problem. So here's what we're going to do. We're taking all of the cargo and we're throwing it overboard. Basically what the captain says at that moment is, we're giving up our paycheck on this one, guys. We're not going to get paid for this delivery, right? But we're going to spare our lives. So they throw everything overboard to hope to try to save it. Right? And in the midst of that, it's not working. And the storm just continues to increase. So the captain goes down into the belly of the ship to do what? To probably look to see, do we have a breach? Is water coming in? And when he goes down there, the Bible says he finds Jonah asleep. I wonder why Jonah was so tired in the first place. Could Jonah have been tired in the first place because of the sleepless nights wrestling with God over the call to go to Nineveh? 
You ever have those moments when you're wrestling with God and God is trying to get you to move and get you to become the person he wants you to be and your, your life's just in an upheaval? Well, evidently something was going on because this man was able to sleep in the midst of a really bad storm. And so the captain sees him asleep and he wakes him up and he goes, young man, what are you doing? Get up, get up. We're, we're in a horrific situation here. We need you to start praying to your God. Everyone else is praying to all their gods. Pray to your God. Isn't it interesting that in a moment when turmoil is happening and chaos is taking place for this prophet, this man of God, that he has to be reminded to pray by a pagan, a non-Christian, a non-God-following man. He has to be reminded by a non-God-following man to pray to his own God. When we're in a case, in a situation where you're trying to run from God, I'm telling you, your priorities, everything gets skewed up. Everything gets messed up. Everything that you need to be doing to get your life rectified and get it back on track is the very things you're not doing. And God's trying to come along all the time and remind you. It's the simple things that are going to get you back on track. You know, in this situation, you know, God's going, hey, pray. You, you need to pray, Jonah. That's what you need to do. And as Jonah prays, he knows instantly, I'm the man. I'm the problem. Well, he didn't really have to be the guy that even said it. They cast lots. They kind of drew straws, if you will. And Jonah got the short stick. And everyone else was pointing at Jonah, too. And they're going, dude, you're the problem. We all know it. And you know it now. What are we going to do? Jonah says, he comes up with this great plan, right? Guys, if you'll just pick me up, all right, and throw me overboard, everything will be good. Yep, that's my plan. And they're like, man, we can't do that to you. So they try to row their way back, and they can't fight the storm. So they come back to Jonah, and they throw him overboard. And when they throw him into the water, this, the waters began to cease. But you know how a storm is. It kind of dwindles away. And as Jonah's thrown overboard, and the splash happens, and the winds immediately start to die down, and the, and the swells on the sea immediately start to decrease, but not to a soft, glassy-like surface. No, that's not what happens yet. As they start to decrease, waves are crushing over the top of Jonah. And, you know, here they are, and they're taking him down. And he's there, and the boat starts to sail off as it would instantly drift away from Jonah. And Jonah watches it drift away as Jonah takes some of his last breaths, probably, and starts sinking into the ocean. And at that very moment, the Bible says that God sends a great fish, and he, and he sucks up Jonah, and he takes Jonah inside of him. And that's where we come to this very first essential truth in this incredible story of Jonah, another spiritual block in your spiritual wall that we're building, like the physical one that's built behind me. The first essential truth of this story is that you can't hide from God's plan. Have you ever played the game hide-and-seek before? All right, were you ever one of those kids that could hide so good that you fell asleep because no one could find you? Or maybe you were a parent and recently you played hide-and-go-seek with your kids. Right? And you couldn't find your kids, and you lost hope in the whole game, gave up, and stopped playing. I'm telling you today, life's no fun when you, when you keep trying to hide from God like Jonah was. Life's no fun. Jonah finds that out quickly. But why is Jonah trying to hide from God? He's hiding from God because God's called him to go to Nineveh. He's called him to go do this thing that Jonah doesn't want to do. Jonah doesn't see value in it. Jonah doesn't think that it's important enough. Jonah doesn't agree with God about bringing this message to Nineveh. And so Jonah decides to do his own thing. See, that's often why we try to hide from God. 
Because God has this Nineveh that he's calling us to. God has this issue in our lives that he's trying to address or trying to change, but we won't let him get there. God has this belief, uh, or, excuse me, we have this belief that doesn't line up with God, and God's trying to adjust it. God's trying to change it, but we won't let him get there. We have relationships that are skewed up and they're messed up and we need to be forgiving people, but we don't want to forgive them. But yet God's trying to lead us there. Those things, whatever God's plan is that you're saying no to, you're resisting, you're avoiding, you're trying to stay away from, that is your Nineveh today. And I don't have time in today's sermon to go through and to highlight every one of your Ninevehs. I don't even know them, by the way. But you do. The Holy Spirit does. And we've been praying that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes up today and he would help you to see what your Nineveh is. Notice, you don't have to be someone that's far, far, far away from God to be someone that's saying no to God. Jonah was a prophet. He was someone who was close to God who was saying no. So one thing I know about a Nineveh in our lives is we all have them. We all have something that God's trying to get at. And you just might be at that moment where God's trying to get your attention and he's trying to say to you, stop running from me. Stop hiding from me. Stop hiding from the challenging thing I've got for you. Stop hiding from the difficult thing. Stop hiding from the painful thing and go do it because it's my plan. It's perfect for you. But many times we try to figure out what the Nineveh is going to look like. We try to figure out how it's all going to end. And if it doesn't end the way we want it to, then we avoid it. I'm telling you, many times you're not going to be able to figure out God's plan. You're just going to have to submit to it and go with it. Submit to it and go with it and let God lead you. Let God direct you and God will do those things. One thing about God's plan is that God's plan is like gravity. You know the force of gravity that holds you on this earth? Pretty intense force. God's plan is like gravity in the sense that you can fight against it all day long if you want to, but you'll never break free from it. Does anybody want to try today? Should we do an illustration like down in the gym? Maybe out of North Platte? Should we get somebody to stand up and start jumping and jump the entire service and see if you can get yourself into space? You could jump all day. You could jump all week. You could jump all year. You could jump until you can't jump anymore, and you're never, ever going to jump enough to fight your way out of the force of gravity on this earth. Because on this earth, if you want to break free from the gravitational pull of planet earth, you've got to jump at a speed of 25,000 miles per hour and sustain it, or you're not breaking free. That's a powerful force. 25,000 miles per hour? How many of you guys would like to have a car that went that fast? Would that be awesome? Do you think how fast you could get back to see family on the East Coast? I mean, boom. You would would have to like, I mean, by the time the car went, you'd have to start putting the brakes on. That's how fast it would be. Now let's take that because God is incredible. God's powerful. And God creates things that blow our minds away. Take the force of gravity. And if you could live on the face of the sun, I realize that's crazy to think about, okay? But if you could live on the face of the sun and you wanted to try to get off of the face of the sun, did you realize you would have to go 1,380,600 miles per hour to break free of the gravity of the sun? The earth, 25,000. The sun, 1.3 million miles an hour to break free. Why do I tell you all of that? Because you're going to forget it. Why do I tell it to you? Because I want you to capture with me how powerful 
God is. God has the ability to hold you on this planet. God created the force of gravity, which would require you to go 1.3 million miles an hour to break free from it. And that's just our sun. And it's not the largest, it's not the largest fear in our solar system, or, or excuse me, in our universe. You go to, think, you go to things larger, and, and gravity just keeps growing. God created it. That's how powerful God is. So you think somehow, some way, Jonah, you're going to hop on a boat and escape God's plan when God creates things like gravity? You're not going to do it. You personally here, sitting here today, think that somehow, some way, that you're going to escape God's plan by doing things your own way? You'll fight against it your entire life, but you can never escape from it. God is powerful. My challenge to you today is this. In light of the fact that you can't hide from God's plan, is stop fighting it and start saying yes to God. Start saying yes to him. Start allowing him to have his way in your life. Start saying yes to him and volunteer for ministry. Start saying yes to him and start tithing. Start saying yes to him and give up a false belief. Start saying yes to God and lay down destructive behavior that, you know, cripples you from being the man or the woman that God wants you to be. Lay those things down. Say yes to God. Well, Jonah, Jonah finds himself here in Jonah chapter 2 in the belly of this fish where he starts basically going, God, I've been brought all the way down into this place where life is sucked around me and I'm feeling the, the, the pain, basically, of the compression of the ocean as it sucks in around me. Basically, he starts making this prayer where he recognizes that everything is collapsing down around him. And it's in that time period <clears throat> where Jonah finally gets to the place where in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, he says, as my life was slipping away, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, <laughs> and my earnest prayer went out to you. Did you hear that? I was at a place where my life was slipping away, and when I was at that deep, dark moment, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you. When you keep trying to hide from God's plan, one of the things that's going to happen is that you're going to eventually hit rock bottom. You're eventually going to keep making your choices, doing things your way, and it's going to feel as if your life is slipping away from you. What you need to know is if you're in that state today, the most important thing you can do, no matter where you're at on the scale of you, know, you living life the way you want to, is to return and say, I remember the Lord. That's important. It starts there. The, the ignition that starts change comes from recognizing that I haven't been remembering you, and I'm going to start remembering you, Lord. And that's what Jonah goes on to say in verses 8 and 9 when he says these words. Those who worship false gods, this is all spoken from the belly of the, of the fish. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. That's important to remember that. When we worship false gods, when we're hiding from God, thinking that something else is going to satisfy us, something else is going to make our way, something else on this earth is going to make me whole instead of God, then we miss out on God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all of my vows. Listen to these last words. For my salvation comes from who? 
the Lord alone. The Lord alone. That leads us to our second big spiritual truth. The second essential truth is that God's mercy gives life. That's what Jonah was talking about here. God's mercy, that's God's kindness. That's God's favor. That's God's protection. Can you imagine what the world would be like if you don't, if you don't have God's mercy, God's favor, and God's protection? Can you imagine what our world would be like without those things? It would be way worse than what it is today. Did you know that you recognize God's mercy through repentance? That when we repent, it's a part of recognizing. Our eyes are opened up. We begin to see, maybe for some of us the first time, how God's mercy has been at work in our lives and how much we need him. Because when we were living life on our own, we thought that we were calling our own shots and that we were the ones making all of the good things happen. But when repentance comes, our eyes are opened up and we begin to see, God, it's your mercies that have been at work in me. And that's what happens for Jonah. His eyes are opened up and he begins to realize, God, it's your mercies that are at work in me. Did you realize that Jonah, in his state of running from God, being thrown into the ocean, that one of God's mercies was the fish? The fish swallowing him up. Because if, without the fish, does Jonah survive? No. He sinks to the bottom of the ocean. He's dead. One of the things you need to realize today, if you're here and you're living outside of a relationship with God, is that God's mercies are happening in your life left and right. You just don't see them. And I want to challenge you today. Humble yourself and repent. And repentance leads to life. Repentance opens our eyes up and helps us to see that God's mercy gives life. So today, turn Right? Turn from the things that are stealing God's mercy away. What are the things in your life that are stealing God's mercy? The things in your life that are causing you to just like put your hands on the reins and go through life thinking you're the one in control. Whatever those things are, flee from those things. Run from those things. Today, leave those things here at our altar. Another thing I want to challenge you to do to experience God's mercy, which brings life, is offer yourself, like Jonah said, as a sacrifice today during our time of worship. That was part of what Jonah was saying. Is, God, I'm offering my life as a sacrifice. You know one of the things Jonah said? He goes, I'm even singing songs of praise to you. That's what we're going to do in a few minutes. In a few minutes, our worship team's going to come, and you're going to have an opportunity to sing songs of praise to him. Did you realize that in that moment, you would literally can be experiencing God's mercy? Your eyes could be opened up during that time of worship and sacrifice to God, that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes up, that you could see God's mercy and his kindness, and that you would give him praise because of it? Another thing is, keep fulfilling your vows made to God. That's one of the things that Jonah said. God, I want to fulfill those vows. And that's not just in here. That's out there. When you leave this place today, leave with the attitude that, God, I'm going to leave this place, and my intention and my drive is to fulfill your vows. Confess to the Lord like Jonah did. Jonah used these words. He said, salvation comes from the Lord alone. Today. Today, as you come to God, you come to him with those words on your heart. You worship him today with the attitude that, God, salvation only comes from you. It doesn't come from anything on this earth. I, I can't be good enough. You know, I can't read my Bible enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't give enough. Nothing else brings salvation. Only you bring salvation. 
And when that happened, Jonah had a fresh start. At the end of chapter 2, it says that the fish threw Jonah up onto the beach. Yeah, other versions use the word vomit. You know what that means, right? That means there's probably Jonah and a few other things thrown up onto the beach. Jonah pulled off all that other stuff, and he went about really understanding this next essential truth and the last one for today. And that is that God gives a second chance. How many of you guys are thankful that God gives second chances? How about in North Platte? Anybody thankful in North Platte? Very good. In the gym? Okay. Everybody should be thankful that God gives second chances. Take a look at Jonah chapter 3. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I've given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's commands and he went to Nineveh. Let me tell you today that Jonah would have never heard God say that for the second time if Jonah hadn't come to God in a heart of repentance. When you repent to God, it's amazing how many times God will bring back to you a message that sounds familiar. He'll use the same words he used before. Why? God's intent for your life is to put you back on track and to get you moving in the direction of his plan. You can never escape God's plan, nor can you alter God's plan. God's plan is stable and solid and true. And once your life decides to repent and align up with God's plan, then God's plan begins to happen. And God spoke a second time, and Jonah wisely obeyed. I was reading this week and heard that a famous person once said that, if you're willing to give me a second chance, I will not need a third. That should be our attitude towards God. God, I know you're willing to give me another chance. May I never need a third. But if you need it, it is still there. That's called God's grace. But should we live our lives in a way with an attitude that would say, God, I I hope that I never need it again? Yes. But when you do, it's there. But should I give it my best and strive after making God my Lord and my leader and doing all the things that he's called me to do? You better believe it. But when you fail, the second chance is there. That's the attitude God has. So what does God say to Jonah that God's saying to you and me today? Get up and go. Get up and go. That's what God says to him. Get up, Jonah. Come on. Get yourself up off that beach. Wipe off that fish slime. Get that stench off yourself. Jump back into the ocean. Wash your body off. We got a mission. Let's go. And Jonah obeyed. I don't think Jonah got up off that beach that day with his head hung low going, woe is me, God, I can't believe it. I'm a prophet that failed you, but you're willing to give me a second chance. I guess I'll, I guess I'll go give it my best. I bet you Jonah stood back up, and he went and he looked his, turned his head to the heavens, and he said, God, you are more gracious than I ever imagined. God, you are more powerful than I ever thought. And today... What you need to know is that God's saying the same thing to you. Get up and go. And you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that with a beaten down, trotten down life. You can do that by standing up with confidence and with boldness and going, yes, I know that my past was screwed up, but my future is designed by God and I'm going to fulfill, I'm going to fulfill it. And in our marriages, marriages are separated and, and things are happening. They're all destroyed. And when we come back together, leave the past in the past. 
Don't use the past as ammunition against each other. And move into the future. So many of us try to move into the future and bring the past with us as if the reminder of the past is going to somehow keep us from, you know, being dumb again. No, the the baggage of the past is just going to slow you down and you're never going to fulfill what God wanted you to do. God said, get up and go. Get up and go. Today, God's asking you, get up and go. Well, that's exactly what Jonah did. And he took the message to Nineveh and that city was transformed for a season of time. Those people truly submitted their hearts to God. So much so that God spared that community for a decent period of time until the Babylonians came later on and completely destroyed it. See, that's a testament to God's word. God didn't recant on his word. He just withheld from bringing punishment. Why? Because the people repented. So in this beautiful story of Jonah, Jonah gets a second chance and the Assyrians get a second chance. And if God's willing to give those two people a second chance, isn't he willing to give you one as well? But here's how Jesus spoke about Nineveh, which I think would be profound for you and me to wrap up our time together today. Jesus said that the people of Nineveh, they will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and, con- and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, Jesus speaking of himself, but you refuse to repent. Hmm. Here's these wicked, barbaric people that are more horrific than anything you've seen from ISIS. And Jesus is prophesying, saying that those people will stand up and say, when Jonah came to us, we repented. But when Jesus came and he brought a message of hope to you, you chose to ignore it. Today, my challenge to you is don't ignore God's word. Don't ignore God's challenge. What's your Nineveh? Repent of it. Turn from it. Turn away from whatever you're running towards. Turn towards the Nineveh. Run after it and allow God to accomplish it in your life. Stop trying to live life on our own. The message today ends with this. Our God is a God of second chances, and you've not used up all of your chances yet. You have not used up all your chances. If you want to get back in the game, and you want to keep running after God, and you want to give God your best, and you want to go out into this world, and you want to make an impact for God, then God's here giving a second chance today. Why don't you stand with me, and let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God of second chances. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of hope. Lord, I thank you that you used the example of sending Jonah to a wicked, vile people, and they repented, Lord, and you preserved them. So much so that you used them and bring them back to our own remembrance to this very day. And you challenge us that just as they turned from their, their wicked ways and they repented, that, Lord, we would turn from our sin and we would repent to you. Now, Lord, we would clearly see the Nineveh that you're wanting to take us to, though. That mission, that plan that you have for us. And that, Lord, we would say yes to you. We would hear your voice calling us to bring change in an area of our lives to a a belief that we have, to a behavior that needs to change, to a relationship that needs to be healed. And that, Lord, we would just simply say yes to you today. And stop our fighting. Because we can never break free from the gravity of your plan for our lives. We can try and try and fight for the rest of our days. Or we can 
wear ourselves out to the bone, but we're never going to be able to break free from it. So Lord, today, all of those that can hear my voice, would you remind them of your plan for them? Would you speak to their hearts that next step in the plan? And may we be a group of people that simply say yes to you, God, and let you fulfill everything you want to do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.